table. That's right. That's right. It's good. If you want to continue to feel like you need to get more in shape, then that's a great opportunity to remind yourself that shape is being needed in our lives. So uh, if you can remember, um, actually, I, oh, I do have another announcement. I was talking to uh, Dr. Dawson about her husband, Bruce, the other day. Get to that message. I meant to pull that up a little earlier. Uh, she said this. She said, just wanted you guys uh, to let you guys know, just to me and a couple of the other teaching assistants uh, for our upcoming class. She said, just wanted to let you guys know we, uh, we had a great appointment with the doctors yesterday. Bruce has no cancer. He has 100% donor DNA in his bones. The transplant worked. He's doing great. And the doctors gave us a few days to, uh, to come back to Lincoln because they've been, they've been gone from Lincoln for like 60 days. It's been, it's been crazy. She's been actually preaching via Zoom. So she, she logs in from, uh, from her, the place that they've been staying, their Airbnb or whatever that they're staying at, and, uh, and she will Zoom teach over their big screen that they have in their church just to, to keep communication with their people and stuff like that. Crazy. Um, so she's been doing that. So she was like, we got to leave, um, and they get to go back to Lincoln. Uh, they drove home a couple nights ago, got in at 11.30. feels great to be home. Uh, then they'll have to go back to Rochester on Thursday for doctor appointments on Friday. Uh, she said it looks like they'll be there until the end of October after that, and then home for good. Only going back once a month for follow-up visits. Their hearts are full of thanks and praise. So thank you, Jesus. That's, that's great, 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 great news. Great news for them. Uh, so we, we, I just wanted to update you guys. I know that, you, that some of you have been following closely on what's been going on in their lives with that. So it's always great to have wonderful testimonies of what God's doing in people. Okay, so... Uh, if you have been paying attention for the last few weeks, then you know that we have been in the book of 1 Timothy, and we've been breaking down a lot of things. We were in Titus a couple, uh, couple weeks before that, and then now we started this, uh, this letter to Timothy. Again, this is a letter that Paul wrote to some of his spiritual sons. Some of you guys are like, why are you summarizing this again? It's important for us to be able to remember. It's like school. When you go to school, they talk about stuff over and over and over again. Why? Because repetition is vital, and it is important for the learning process. I don't want to just say something one time and expect that you absorb it every single time I go through something once. And so I'm going to repeat some things consistently, especially as we go through books like this. So again, Paul wrote these letters to some spiritual sons of his. Uh, found it was very important to help encourage them as they were young men in the faith, as they, uh, as they were moving into specific port parts of leadership. Titus was in Crete, a very wild area full of commerce and trade and lots of philosophical ideas. And so he was writing specifically to his demographic of people and to, to encourage him to reach out to those for the gospel of Christ. And then now to Timothy, to an established church is where he sent him, a place that, was, that has been around for a while, a successful church. If you've heard of the book of Ephesians, that was written to the people in Ephesus. Timothy was sent to Ephesus, to that same group of people. And so, uh, so he wanted to write to encourage him because there was some false teaching going on. Some people were not teaching adequately to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were actually speaking what, uh, what Paul, Paul calls myths, uh, legends, uh, conspiracy theories, all these different things. And so this stuff was rampant inside the church at the time, leading people astray. Something that I liked in a few of the commentaries and, and some of the dialogue that I've had with others is that these people were, were set on dividing the body by these activities that they would, they would get into. And so you can tell when something is, for the most part, a false doctrine many times as it divides the body and ostracizes individuals. That's something that's not 
gospel-centered. Gospel wants to unify the body of Christ together. I don't wake up and then detach my arm and hope that my arm does what it needs to throughout the day. Detach my leg and hope that I make it around and that those appendages go wherever they need to. I walk with my entire body. I go to every location. And regardless of if I'm sitting down, then my feet can rest for a while. If I'm using my hands, then that means that everything else can be, uh, can be, can be resting at the time. If I'm sitting and reading, then I'm doing that specifically. It doesn't mean that my legs have to be running the entire time in order for it to be used in its functionality. And so the body needs to come together and be unified. So anything that divides the body, ostracizes it, makes it feel like it is out on an island by itself, is not the gospel. And so these, these myths, these things were causing disputes among people. It was causing lots of turmoil. And so he sent his trusted confidant, his trusted uh, spiritual son, to go and to, to influence these people, bring correction by the authority of Paul as the apostle, sending Timothy to go do the work of the ministry, to bring these people back into unity with one another. And so last week we talked from, uh, we, we went through, actually week one, uh, we, were going th- we went through the introduction of that first chapter, and then week two we went into a little more specifics in the middle of chapter one, where it talked about specific sins. And not labeling sins that are just like, I think this is what these people are doing, but realizing that the activities that were going on in the church were inappropriate, were, were sinful, were bad. But he didn't want to just say, you're doing bad things. He wanted to give some weight behind the statements that he was making. And so what he did, if you remember the side-by-side comparison between the Ten Commandments and the, 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 um, the things that Paul said that they should not be practicing in. And the first half of them dealt with the sins against God. The second half dealt with sins against man. And it mirrored the Ten Commandments in the same way. The first half, you see, deals with sins against God. And the second half of the Ten Commandments deals with sins against your fellow human. And so he does the same thing, but talks about the sinful practices that they were behaving in. They were sinning against God by by seeking after idolatry, by being selfish, by not glorifying God or honoring his law. And then the second half was that they were committing crimes and acts of sin against one another as they were uh, backbiting, they were undercutting, they were manipulating, they were overlording themselves over each and every one of these people. And so he was saying, this is not the way that we're supposed to live. And it's specific to the law that has been established by God himself, not by Paul. This is not Paul's gospel, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what God has foreordained from the beginning of the time that, that we see of. And so this was important. So then we moved on into, into chapter 2, and the, the, the first half of chapter 2 has to deal with centering back the idea of what Christian worship is supposed to look like for us as the body. He mentions first and foremost, and I can, I'll actually read this because I think it's important for us to go back and read. He says, um, and I didn't put this up here, so you don't have to worry about clicking through this first, Mr. Terry. Um, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1-7, through 7, I urge you first of all that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Everybody say all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases our God, it pleases God our Savior, who wants all people, all people, to be saved. Yeah, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So Paul again wanted to re-engage an activity that seemed to be pulled out of focus. Much of the things that were going on was specifically through the teaching that they were going through. And that was causing divide, that was causing confusion, that was causing manipulation to happen in the church. And what he's saying is, look, you guys are concentrating so much on who is standing at the pulpit instead of actually concentrating on worshiping God the Father. 
and paying attention there. We, we're, we're not offering petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving in the midst of the assembly. You guys are arguing over who is right and what myth is correct. In these myths, they would teach things that were, that were falsities about Christ. They would take um, different characters, even from the Old Testament, and, and how they viewed Christ, and they would skew that view to, to allow people to sin and to walk into sin, to allow people who are in authority to walk in almost a dictatorship instead of actually living out what the gospel is, which is walking in humility, love, and in peace with one another. They were talking against those who were even in political governments and to trying, to, trying to find out how almost like the zealots were whenever they were thinking that Jesus, when he was going to come, when the Messiah was going to come, they believed that he was going to overthrow the government and reestablish himself as the king like they once had before. And so these people were, were training and they were preparing for an ultimate battle that they were going to have within, the, uh, within their, their culture and their climate. They thought that they were getting ready to go and, and bring out all their swords and they were going to go fight all the Romans and get them all killed, and then, bam, we have our king, our Messiah is back again, and this was the reestablishment of the kingdom. And then when Jesus showed up, they were very taken aback because this was a very humble man full of righteousness, walked in peace, would go to people who seemed like they were not quite the cream of the crop at times, and then when he was hanging out with those who were not, uh, those who were in higher positions, he was actually loving on them and then offering them a way of, of salvation, forgiving their sins, and and watching them being transformed, and so it was very confusing for that group of people. And so um, he was, he's talking here saying, we don't need to be trying to manipulating um, the thought process about our kings and those who are in authority, those who are emperors, those who are uh, representatives of, of, uh, of the ruling authority, and hope to try to get these guys dethroned. We need to actually pray for these individuals and, and pray that they come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then in, in, their, in their knowledge of Christ, then we will also see a transformation in policy and in polity because we know that their lives are being transformed and they'll have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and not the conviction of my words. And so Paul wanted to refocus these people, pushing them to, to enact and, and petition and to seeking out to the Lord on, on behalf of others, to, to, to be alive, to live lives of prayer, to intercede for one another, to intercede for every, everybody. He mentioned that the, uh, in verse one, he said that all these things, petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people. He doesn't say that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for yourself. Many times when we go to pray, we offer these things for ourselves. God, help me. This is what I need. This is something that I'm going through. This is I. Now, it's, it's important and it's valuable for us to go to God when we're struggling with things and we're dealing with things in our lives. But if we never go to God on behalf of other people, then we become very selfish and self-centered. And that is not the gospel. In humility, we need to approach the throne of God. Many times, if you go to the Lord in prayer for other people, you will find that your circumstances may not be as dire as you thought they would. You'll find that you can persevere because you're also putting forth effort to see that these people are transformed by the Holy Spirit. So it's important. We do this for all people. And this helps us leave, live peaceably in godliness and holiness. Also because if we're praying for people who even we have disagreements with, whether that's in politics, uh, if, you, if you find yourself more conservative, then many times you will be more frustrated and aggravated and, and may want some people to be dethroned from their, their political position if they are more on the left. If you sit more on the left side, then usually when a, when a more conservative individual comes into 
into power, then, then you become more aggravated as well. And then there becomes some turmoil and some strife, even in your conversations with people. And we see this today with the climate that we're in, that if you claim to be on one side or the other of the aisle, then you become ostracized by someone who believes on the other side. When in all reality, we're supposed to be able to pull each other closer to the middle to where we're able to have conversations and figure things out and find out what needs to be compromised, what needs to be a, a, firm, uh, a, f- a firm choice, what needs to be something that we can work through, and what needs to be really evaluated upon the standard that we're supposed to be living by. We need to be able to have people who challenge us and give us different perspectives. If we only have one voice from one angle, then we will not be able to see everything that happens. We'll not be prepared. It's great for us to be challenged. Even if we still don't walk away in agreement, we can agree that, that we both have different opinions, but still be able to work together because we are citizens of the same land. So it's vital and it's important that we're able to have conversations with these people. And when we pray for these individuals, it's a lot harder for us to be very mad at them all the time because we're praying for them to be blessed, praying, praying for them to have favor. Praying for the Holy Spirit to, to move in their lives and to, and, to, and to do mighty works in their lives, to heal them of things that they're struggling with, to have clarity of thought, to have, to have great, great meetings and divine appointments with others. And it's, it's hard to then become aggravated if we do that for quite a long time, praying for these individuals. Then you actually want to see them succeed. And guess what? Now you start to have a heart of love for that person. But if all you're doing is spewing garbage about this individual, then garbage is going to be the way that you view them. And that is not the way that Christ viewed individuals. He came and died for all people. He said, give intercession, prayer, petition, and thanksgiving for all people. So verse 5, and this is, (laughs) I need to get through this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all people, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. And for the purpose I was appointed to as a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So that was last week. This week, we're going to go through a, 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 a debated section of scripture that, uh, that has lots of, lots of opinions on the interpretation uh, but I, uh, we're going we're gonna to approach this with humility and, uh, and walk through this as, as to the understanding that I've developed in, in some of my studies. So in chapter 2, verse 8 through 15, this is where you can, you can click up here, Mr. Terry. This is talking about men and women who are influenced by corrupt teachers. So remember, again, the framework that we're in for this book is that Paul is combating false teaching in this church. When we read through books and through big sections of scripture, we need to know the context to which this person is writing. If we don't, it's very easy to pluck a scripture out and to apply that and manipulate it to whatever you feel the interpretation needs to be without it actually being the true, the true intention of the writer itself. So this is important. Remember, the entirety of this book is written to combat the false teachings of the people who are standing at pulpits and manipulating the people by teaching all of these false things. So, in that, with that in mind, with that overarching opinion here, with that, with that reality of what Paul is doing, now let's look at what this, script, uh, this passage of Scripture is saying. So verse 8 says, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. From all the things we just saw that he was saying from verse 2 about the way that we're supposed to, to worship, pointing us back to prayer and intimacy with the Lord, 
petitioning for, for those who are in an authority for all people, people you agree with and disagree with, specifically mentioned and called out the men. Many times we see that it's very easy. You can go to Myrtle and you'll find this up and down, left and right. Individuals sitting there and debating on politics and how terrible or awful or wonderful a specific figure may or may not be. If you gather around tables of opinionated individuals, you will find that there is a lot to say and a lot of coarse talk many times about individuals who they don't agree with, especially if they feel like they are an authoritative voice. Whether in the circles they feel like they're the most they're the most authoritative, whether they feel like all their opinions are correct, whether they watched all the Facebook videos that tell you how corrupt e these individuals are, or whatever you read a, a specific news article that told you how terrible this person is, you will find that there is all this different slanderous talk about individuals. You will even find this specifically in the church about opinions of different people and their doctrine. People they have no relationship with, people they have never met, people who they've never studied underneath, people they've never had conversations with to know actually what they truly believe or say. They just base it off of uh, if they're a, a church that has a much tighter time schedule, maybe a 20-minute message, and they base their entire opinion of that person off of those 20 minutes of them describing what they feel is being said in scripture. And they have a very heavy opinion about these individuals. Maybe they watch somebody give commentary on YouTube about these individuals, and that's what's driving them to think certain things about these people. Paul doesn't say, I want all the men to gather together, get, get around a big table, find the most popular person in the church, and then debate everything that there is known to man. He doesn't say that, that you're supposed to go up, you're supposed to prepare the biggest speech on, on every single topic that frustrates you in your life, and then deliver it from the pulpit. No, what he does is he says, therefore, in light of all these things that we just talked about on how we're supposed to be living our lives and refocusing ourselves, offering petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, being made for all people, for the kings and all those in authority. In light of this, so that you may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, which is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of truth. He says, now, all you argumentative people, pray. Lifting holy hands without anger or disputing. Therefore, I want all the men everywhere to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. The first address was to the men in the church to pray, to lift 
their hands without being angry with one another, disputing and the gathering, gathering place, spending much of the time in the church trying to figure out who is of the devil and who is not, who is, who is the, the worst thing that's happened now to this earth, who is the Antichrist going to be, who is the, all, all of this stuff that just ends up not pointing people to Christ, but pointing people to who is the most qualified intellectual who can hear from the voice of God but doesn't lead a person to Jesus. If the words that you feel you're hearing from God only lead to conspiracy, to manipulation, to, to, to myth, it leads you to places that do not glorify God, praying for everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, then I would beg to differ that you are not quite aligned with what Scripture is saying. <clears throat> it is important for us, now listen, it is important for us to know doctrine. It is important for us to study the word, to show ourselves approved. It's important for us to be able to dissect and to have discernment whenever someone is teaching falsity, when someone is not teaching correct doctrine, when someone is not doing these things. But there's, there's no reason for me to be moaning and complaining about someone who is ministering something in California when I have no influence over their life. I have no reason to be talking about that person. I have no reason to, to have to write something online about how I highly disagree with this individual and he's the worst person in the world or whatever because that doesn't, A, glorify the body of Christ. B, it doesn't help anybody who's in that person's church. C, it doesn't, it doesn't help that person to even come to the knowledge of what is correct or incorrect because now they have some random joker from southeast Missouri writing all kinds of ridiculousness and they've never met me. And then to all the people outside of the church looking at these people bickering and moaning and complaining about one another, it doesn't glorify anything and bring anybody to, to want to know Jesus. It actually says, you know what, these Christians are crazy and they're hateful and they're spiteful and it doesn't look like this is love. If this is love, I don't want it. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Okay. This is to live like Christ because he prayed constantly. He was intentional with his relationship with God. Even as God in the flesh, he walked in humility. Now, he didn't back down whenever he had people who were hyper-religious coming to him and claiming falsities about him and speaking lies. He actually revealed truth and revealed the heart's intention in his conversation with them. Everybody good? Okay. Verse 9, here we go. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, I'm going to take a pause right here. So according to Tim Mackey, I, I love, love reading his stuff and, and listening to his lectures and, and, uh, and even in a few commentaries that I've, I've gone through. They believe that, that these women that he's describing were extremely wealthy women who flaunted around their wealth with lavish clothing and causing distractions— while they were amongst the community in their gathering. So this doesn't mean we need you guys to dress as homely as possible, be as least distracting as, as, as you can ever be. Never buy anything that makes you feel like you're beautiful or like you're pretty. Don't ever do anything to make yourself feel. No, it's not what it's saying, okay? This is saying don't be a distraction in the midst of the assembly of, of, of the people because we are not 
and this, this I, I feel like this would also apply very well to the men too. We are not the object of affection when we come in our gathering place. <laughs> this, is not the, this is not the reason why we're coming here. Okay? But these women were, were, were causing such a distraction amongst the community that he was like, look, we need to dress modestly, just decent, just decency, with decency and propriety. Adorning themselves, knowing that you have value in yourself without having to rely on expensive things to make you feel like you're valuable. You are valuable because Christ died for you. That's, your, that's where your value and your worth is found. And so they were causing a distraction amongst the community. Verse 11 says this. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And all the men said, okay, <laughs> don't say amen to that. Okay, so <laughs> all the guys like, I knew my wife shouldn't be talking to me like that. But no, um, no, uh, that, is not, that is not what we're talking about here. So there, there are a few different a few different interpretations of how this this passage should be should be looked at. Um, let me read let me read the next three verses and I'll, I'll kind of go into this in just a second. In verse thirteen it says, "For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived; it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with God." So here are a couple, a couple different interpretations that we see that are probably more, more popular amongst other ones. Uh, one is that uh, there's one opinion that says that women should never teach or lead men in any church. That's one, that's one opinion that uh, some denominations hold to in their interpretation of the scripture. They don't believe that, that there should be any women being involved with anything that has to deal with giving any kind of teaching or instruction over a man, let alone being a pastor. There's like nothing there. Another, uh, another interpretation is that women shouldn't lead from an authoritative position like that, like as in a pastor or something like that, but with education, they can teach. So they give a little more leeway in that, saying that this is, this is allowable um, according to the scripture. Now, there's another interpretation that, that says that if we look at the context for the writing here, um, they would say that, that it was these specific Ephesian women that shouldn't lead because they have been deceived. Which would bring, which would bring out the re the reasoning why Paul would mention Eve being deceived in the garden. Now, personally, for myself, I'll, I'll let you know kind of the way that I view this. I I tend to lean more with the third option there. Again, because if we're looking at context of the entirety of this book, he's he's talking about people who are spewing false doctrine. And it appears in this in this area that these women that were that were wealthy, who were flaunting around their wealth, their lavish clothing, causing a distraction, were also usurping authority and teaching things that were inappropriate and false as far as doctrinally. Part of this was because they were being deceived by the other teachers who came in and were teaching false things, and they joined kind of that teaching circuit and began to teach inappropriate things according to the gospel. And so they were, they were miseducated, around the people who came and were deceiving. And so they, this, I believe, is, is a little bit more geared towards these specific individuals who are in the church. Just like in the previous chapter, at the very last verse, Paul, uh, Paul was, he designated, he specifically mentioned two individuals who were teaching false things in that church. So he called those men out and said, these guys are 
are just not teaching the right right things. The, they should not be allowed to teach within the assembly. Um, and then now you look at these individuals who are very distracting, and they were causing a lot of problems and issues there. They were also communicating things that were false. And so this passage is not condemning women from being a part of anything that's going on in the church. Actually, if you go through, there's a, a complementarian view that you say that you look at the at the Trinity and see the relationship that the Trinity has. Each each of the three part um, Godhead has specific things that they do and that their involvement is a part of. It's all in relationship. God, he, God is one. He is three in one. But each one of those had very specific things that they're a part of. God the Father in heaven. You had Jesus who came in flesh. You have the Holy Spirit who was sent to us after Christ ascended into heaven. Each of them have different functions that they that they move in, but it's it's so communal and communicative that it's that it's a beautiful dance that essentially is made within the Godhead. And so in our relationship, when when it says in Genesis that he that that humanity was made in the image of God, the word actually Adam, when you look into the Hebrew, the word Adam is humanity. It is not a man's name. He made Adam, he made humanity. Eve was named after the fall. Adam named her. He said, male and female, we created them. But Adam, humanity, they were, that's, that's all encompassing in its description. Man is, is, a short, is a shorter word. It's like ish, ish, ish or something like that. And then, and then woman is an extension of that word. It's like a shish, shish, ah. I mispronounced this terribly, but it's very similar to something like that in its, in its interpretation and translation. And so it's an extension. It's a, it's a side. Um, it's a continuation of the responsibilities of humans. Humans' responsibility of, of tending and keeping and expanding God's territory, expanding the kingdom, being his representatives here on earth. And so we see that if we, if we look at the relationship that has been set from the very beginning of time, whenever humans were first created, we see that there is a relationship and a dance that's made, that each person has their role within the, within the body, within the relationship. You go through, and, and, and if you look at people who have been um, experts in the way that, that men and women tend to lean as far as job-wise, you see that, that guys many times, most of the time, not all the time, but many times, are more interested in things. Women, for the most part, are more interested in people. So when you look at the job choices of, of the two, um, uh, these, these two uh, individuals that men, these two genders, thank you, these two genders, men tend to lean more towards doing things like engineering and things like that. And then, then women tend to be more geared towards like social work and things that deal with people and helping people in that aspect. Um, again, that's not all the time. There is some, there is some crisscross. You have some women who like things and some men who like to deal with more with people. And that's great. But for the most part, especially when you get into, into places that, uh, that have more well-defined freedom and equality for men and women to do the same stuff, it even becomes more drastic in their choices to be able to do things with men and then deal with people with women. It's, it's wild. It's fascinating. So we see that there are, there are a necess- there's a necessity for both genders to help people and to help progress things on the planet Earth and to be great representations of the body of Christ. Same thing in the church. There's a necessity for both genders to be involved with the teaching, the instruction, the the leadership, the guidance, and the progression and development of people to be great disciples of Christ. We are all called to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. From Jerusalem to Judea, 
to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We are all called to make disciples. And so there is no, there is no exception. There is no hierarchy of people that should be making more disciples than the other. We are all called to make disciples. And so uh, a, a continuation of this, um, as you look in the, in the scene when he brought up Adam and Eve, the, the scene in Genesis was the corruption that occurred in Eve as both her and Adam were present. We have to remember that too. So even though Eve was the one that first had the apple and she was dialoguing with, with, with Satan <laughs> or with the serpent, Adam was right there. <laughs> he was not far off. He was not away. He was, he was there and he was silent. He was mute. He didn't do anything except for take the apple or take the fruit whenever Eve offered it to him. And he still ate the fruit. So there wasn't just deception on one end. Both were equally deceived. So they were both, these people were all corrupted by false teaching. Both the men were corrupted, as were shown in the end of, of chapter 1, and the women were corrupted, as shown in chapter 2. No one was, played an exception in the place of being deceived by those who were pushing for more fleshly desires to be acted out. So, what happens now? The charge comes for these people to come under the leadership and teaching of Timothy for correction because of the false teaching that occurred in the church at the time. So again, when we read that last, that last part in verse, um, there we go, verses, verse 15. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is what we see with the story of Eve. And this is the patience that comes with, with having a child. Anybody who's, who's walked with anybody who's been pregnant, you know that it's not an immediate thing that happens within like two weeks and bam, the baby's out now. There's a waiting period. There's a, there's, there's a patience that comes. There's a there's like a restructuring and, and a realignment of the body. Uh, lots of different things happening in there. Uh, appetites change. The, the, the necessities and the needs of the mother changes from before she was pregnant to now when she is pregnant. The things that she's able to and not able to do. The, the necessity of the husband to be able to, to tend and take care of and, and to make sure that things are, are being done adequately. And then the child birthing process, the, the more discomfort that happens as the baby is getting ready to come. And then finally, whenever the baby is ready to come out, the, the birthing process is not always the most joyous, wonderful, just blissful experience for people. <laughs> My wife was in labor for 36 hours with Lyrica. It was a long, long time that we were going through, and, and I, I didn't feel near as horrible as she did in the midst of that. And so we see that there's pain that comes with change and transformation and growth and and, not, and life. But it's beautiful in that the final product is, is so wonderful. And it's worth it. Same thing here whenever we see that this, and I, lo I love that he uses childbearing and childbirth as, a, as, an, as, an, as an idea of what's going to be happening. Because what Timothy is going to have to do when he comes to this place and as he's here is that he's going to have to teach and instruct and undo a lot of the things that the body was used to causing their appetites to now have to change from what is fleshly to what is spiritual. Causing the things that they were experiencing and being taught 
to have to restructure and to come into realignment. Timothy coming in now as the father, being tender and being loving and being careful and being kind to the body, to the bride of Christ, as they're going through these growing pains and as they're experiencing new life in Christ. So it's amazing that Paul uses this imagery. He uses poetic imagery of, of a childbearing, a child birthing, being the thing that saves this group of individuals. Specifically, the women who were in, in encountering this false doctrine, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that they were the ones that immediately manipulated. They could have been taught by these inappropriate leaders from the end of, verse, uh, of chapter 1. And so now to, to transform and to create, he's saying they're going to have to go through the process of salvation through childbirthing and unlearning this false doctrine and coming to the reality of what is true. And this happens in our lives as well. How often have we gone through scripture and we've taken it out of context to fit, it, to fit the narrative that we are living because it makes us feel good about what we're doing? Have we really taken the time to, to read and to study scripture and to ask God how this could apply to our lives? Do we, do we take time to memorize part of the scripture? Um, do we take time to pray? Uh, uh, hugely, do we take time to pray? And not for yourself, but for others. How many of us that are that are they have our schedules filled with different activities and and different things take time out of our day to inquire of the Lord about somebody else? How often is our compassion evident in our lives for other people as they're struggling as they're going through different things? These are things that we're going to have to go through and it will be growing pains just as a woman goes through childbearing and childbirthing. You may feel a little nauseous at the beginning because you feel like, I don't want to break through this place of weariness. To have morning sickness as you just utter these words of Lord, bless them. <laughs> bless their lives. <laughs> but that will pass. As it grows, as your love and your faith grows in Christ, it'll pass. Now you kind of waddle a little bit. Things are growing, but you're like, I don't feel like I have as much footing as I did before. Can't quite run around like I want to. I'm not jumping, I'm not doing jumping jacks right now. I'm just trying to make it from point A to point B. This is a little uncomfortable. I wasn't sweaty before during this time, and I'm really sweaty today. I don't know what's going on. I feel conviction about something. You will start to transform and, and to undergo this process of, of finding out that life in Christ is other than you. When a woman is carrying a child, they're not thinking of themselves in many of those moments, but they, they're thinking about what is, what is affecting this child. What am I ingesting? What am I doing? What are the activities that I'm involved with? What do I need to cut out of my life so I make sure this child is safe? Who do I need to go talk to that's more of an expert in this area of knowing what needs to happen so that I can make sure that, that I'm, not, uh, I'm not ignorant of what needs to actually happen in my body and in my life? These things are vital and important for, for, for people to go through when they're learning about things. So same thing in our lives. If you're unfamiliar and you're, if you're in unfamiliar territory, who are you consulting with to, to find out how I can, I can be a better follower of Christ? Am I actually doing things that are beneficial or am I actually crippling the growth that I'm supposed to be going through because I'm acting selfishly instead of unselfishly? 
if we look at Paul's other writings, we look at certain certain passages, you'll see that, and this is this is highly debated in the interpretation, but but from what I can see, I see other representations of, of Paul exalting and glorifying and, and championing women who are really effective in the body of Christ. Romans sixteen one, he says, I commend you I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Caesarea. Romans six, uh, sixteen seven says, uh, Great Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. And they were in Christ before I was. In Acts eighteen twenty six, he says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard them. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. These are just a few examples of women who are impactful to Paul and who are called out as people who are ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. Now, we can get in arguments and mince words and go all this other stuff as far as the, the application of if someone should be the lead pastor, if they're not the lead pastor, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I feel like this passage is more or less concerning with the family structure of the body of Christ rather than having to find out who is more politically in power than the other. There are some incredible women in the ministry today. Some who we are, are more intimately know here in our church. Others that we see on maybe social media or online. Maybe many of you have grown through different people's teachings and preaching. I mean, Joyce Meyer, how many of you guys have been in, influenced by Joyce Meyer at some point? I mean, goodness, you have some people that are, that are just fascinating and, and being used mightily by God. And so for me to delineate their, uh, their influence and to, and to try to negate their responsibilities that they feel that Christ has called them to, when you're seeing the evidences of their ministry, it's just, it's just selfish. And I feel like it's, it's reading too far into, into this to try to feel like you have superior authority over somebody. And so humbly, I approach the scripture by looking at it this way, in the way that Paul communicates about different individuals throughout scripture. I feel like this champions and this actually grows us and challenges all of us to be called to a higher standard whenever we're looking to teach and instruct people in the Bible. I think that it was, that it's valuable that, that he, he called these women out and said that they're not doing what they need to, but only to the point to where if they would come under the, the leadership and teaching of Timothy, then they could grow in their gifting of communication by adequately portraying what the gospel is saying. And that's for each of us. We cannot just say that I'm going to stand up because I feel like I have an epiphany without actually reading what the word says. Too many times we find people who are, are I mean, this is, this is more in charismatic circles rather than in uh, other evangelical circles, but where they say, I heard from the Lord, and they'll proceed to say their opinion. You just feel very strongly about your opinion, but that was not from the Lord. Because I see no representation of that in Scripture. We need to be adequately trained that if we are practicing to hear the voice of the Lord, we need to know what his voice sounds like. We need to know the standard by which he calls us to live. We need to know who, who it is that we're actually dealing with. We need to know that lives are impacted when we say, thus saith the Lord, and God said. 
that those who are not as educated in the scripture, whenever they are met with someone who says God said, they have to carry on the weight of, am I disobeying God? Or am I doing something that is actually correct and this person was just cuckoo? And if they don't know the word, then it's a very hard line and it becomes very contentious and filled with fills them with anxiety. We need to be adequately trained in the word so that we can rightly divide the scriptures to people. So we can adequately unify people together and not divide them from the body. So let's stay in this this morning. I don't want to belabor this too much. It's 12.05. I can sit on this for a little while longer, but we won't. We will continue on in this wonderful book. Are you guys enjoying this series over Timothy? I, l- I love it. I've been, I've been really enjoying studying this. So I want to offer this, this challenge for us today. How many of us are being distracted when it comes to our time spent with Jesus? Maybe you don't have some rich lady walking in, fr- in front of you when you try to open your Bible filled with all kinds of gold and jewels and flaunting all kinds of whatever and saying all kinds of hoo-ha, whatever stuff. Um, but maybe you're, you're too distracted by your cell phone. Maybe it's people who are on, this on, on your social media feeds that, uh, that doesn't allow you to actually read through the Bible. May, maybe it's harder for you to pray because you're so worried about the notifications that come popping through your, your cell phone. Maybe, maybe it's a little harder for you to pray because, because you just want to get through one more episode of whatever show it is that you're watching. Maybe you're just waiting for the next news cycle to roll around so you can just find out one more thing about this story that is breaking news. Maybe there's just so much going on at, at work, and when you get home, you just, you just have no energy to do anything, and so you just, just curl up and you just don't do anything that glorifies God. Maybe you just can't wake up early enough just to get a little, a little few moments because it's just, it's just not worth it. What are the distractions that we're having that caused us to, to not glorify God and to concentrate on him? Are we, are we taking few moments, even, even in silence if you're at work, to just thank God for other people that are in your life? Maybe you feel like you pray a lot, but many of the prayers start and end with I or me. Are you taking the time to actually dedicate your prayer life to seeking the Lord's face for those people, for s- seeking for them to be, glo- to, be, to be blessed, to be elevated, to be encouraged, to be convicted, to be challenged, to grow. If they don't know Christ, to know Jesus, and then to also reach people for the kingdom. Are we taking time to ask questions of people when we're going through and we have questions about the Bible? We have questions about our faith. We have questions about what's going on in life. Are we taking the time to ask these questions of people that we trust? I have, I have quite a few individuals that I've, I've come to know that are way smarter than me when it comes to breaking down passages of the Bible. It's one of the reasons why I'm a teaching assistant at the seminary, because I just want to continuously have these, these, uh, these professors just pour into me and, and teach me new things and, and remind me of things that I learned whenever I was still in the program. Are you being challenged in the way that you go through scripture? These are things we need to contemplate. I feel like in the season that we're in right now of teaching and instruction, I, I, don't, 
I don't feel drawn to give many prophetic words or, or anything. We, and we value that immensely in this house. And we were a prophetic house. And it's wonderful. But I think that there's a, there's a, a portion in a time where we also need to make sure that we are rightly dividing scripture. And we're challenged to just go and do basic things. Otherwise, we can get caught up in the clouds. And what you think is a, is a rain cloud is actually what the Lord is putting forth to provide shade for you. need to be able to understand that the voice of the Lord speaks through scripture and then when we rightly divide that we can hear his voice much clearer and then deliver the words that he has for us and for others we need to have compassion for people we need to not be hateful and slightful to leaders and people who are running our country no matter how much you may disagree with an individual you can still love them enough to pray for them to be blessed encouraged uplifted and edified I'm not the judge you are not the judge we do not do any of that stuff Realistically, the judgment that should be happening should be within the church body, within our community, with people that we have relationship with, that we can call out what's going on in each other's lives, and we can follow up with them in the process of that, knowing that that's going to build them up in the relationship that you have. We don't judge people outside of the context that we live in. It's not our responsibility. If we don't have a relationship with them, it looks more like hate than it does love. So how are we encouraging how we uplifting. And in turn, we'll find that we will be encouraged and uplifted in those moments as well. Think about these things when you go home today. Think about these things when you're, when you're going, going in your car to work on Monday or when you're hanging out with other people. Do you have close friends? Are you praying for them? Pray for them. Are you aggravated with people? Pray for them. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for these reminders that, that life is not centered around us. Thank you for the reminder that we need to, we need to be people who, who see the potential in people and pray into that and not in their, into their current context when they're in the midst of their struggles. Thank you, God, for, for the example of Paul sending Timothy to Ephesus, not because he's given up on the church, but because he knows that they can thrive if they are given correct doctrine. Thank you that we can undergo correction in our lives and that we can, we can be tuned into what your word actually is calling us to. Father, let us be disciple makers. Let us challenge each other in this community, in this body of Christ. Let us not just be church attenders, but let us be actual, an actual family that has that has conviction with one another, that listens and is, and is open for correction, is open for new ideas, doesn't feel like we have everything, um, everything put together. So Lord, Lord, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to rightly understand your word. And then when we don't understand it well, send people in our lives who can bring correction and, uh, and a recalibration. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Thank you that, that each gender, male and female, has a place in your body. Thank you that we all have, have a role to play and that you've called each of us to live according to your word. That ultimately it's not about titles or, or a resume or anything like that. It's about being called a son or a daughter of Christ. So let us be true representations of little Christ-like ones. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said.
Amen. Women, make sure you don't say a word as you leave the church. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, you guys have a great rest of your morning. Um, go and eat some good food with somebody. Love on some other people. We'll see you guys uh, next week and Wednesday night.